Well, all right. Good morning. All right. Everybody good today? Well, <clears throat> my name is Roger Green. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at High Point, and I actually serve as a give director. So we're internally kind of uh, organized around some four Gs, gather, grow, give, and go. And at first hearing, you probably think give is money. Okay, that's like 4% of what I do. My job is really about uh, overseeing a team that helps you get involved. Okay, you start attending here for a while and you're like, okay, I like the place. How do I become a member? How do I call it my church home? How do I start serving, get into some groups and things like that? So we kind of design processes and systems for that. Growth Track's one of which Parker leads. So uh, that's what I get to do. I've been on staff for about 11 years. My wife, Lisa's down here with me as well. I don't serve just the East Campus. I serve both campuses, uh, get their work alongside some great folks. Um, I have a lot of love and respect and admiration for Parker Richardson, your campus pastor, and his uh, wife, Elizabeth. Uh, Parker and I go way back. So back in the early days, uh, we were neither of us on staff. He's a high schooler, I think. We were serving together in middle school and uh, have a lot of fond memories of middle school days serving together. And it was clear from those early days, God had a call on his life to be a pastor. So it's been kind of really cool to watch his progression through the last 11, 12, 13 years, so um, have a lot of love for him. Elizabeth, who was not on staff years ago, I remembered her, and she, uh, we, we actually had a, like a staff trip one time we did, and I don't know, I don't even remember these details, she probably does, but she was along for the ride, and I remember her saying, uh, I would really like to be on High Point staff one day. Well, who would have known she's not only on staff, but she's the campus pastor's wife. So she's a pastor's wife. So yeah, a lot, a lot of love and respect for both of them. So uh, anyway, um, so today I'm, I'm teaching through one of the Psalms and a little backstory there. I was asked in early May uh, to consider teaching and the uh, series was not known at the time. And I said, yeah, I'll pray through it a little bit. And at the, at the time I was actually reading through the book of Psalms. Now, if you know anything about Psalms, it's kind of like this. You typically add psalms to something else you're reading. If you're doing a Bible reading plan or read the Bible through in a year, it's kind of like read an Old Testament, a New Testament, and then you read a psalm and a proverb. You kind of hit repeat on that. And I don't know that anybody really goes in and says, hey, I'm just going to read psalms. But I was reading psalms, and, and psalms is kind of the go-to. You know, we uh, a lot of us have a lot of reasons to go to psalms. And it's faith-building things. It's belief-building things. Tell me about God, like he's bigger than we are, or bigger than our problems. There's suffering. We look at you know, uh, sympathies and empathies. We look for comfort in the Psalms. Just like Ronnie Stevens said, I think last week or so, uh, Psalms is really songs, S-O-N-G-S, uh, written to be, uh, you know, to, to lyrics, to stringed instruments. So we kind of go to those Psalms. So I was reading through Psalms, and then about two weeks later, I said, yeah, I'll teach through it. And then they said, hey, we're going to do Psalms. So it was kind of neat, you know, I was like, all right, I'm already there. So I was kept reading right on through it. So you would probably expect me and any other pastor to get up here and share from their favorite or favorite Psalm. That's not what I'm doing today. I like this Psalm. It's not one of my favorites. 
but I feel like God led me there, and I've actually become more in love with it over the last few weeks of studying for it. I was reading uh, about a Jewish teacher. His name is Abin Ezra, and he announced that this particular psalm is the crown of all psalms. And once I say we're going to look at Psalm 139, some of you may say, yeah, I like that psalm. There may be something in there that you like, and uh, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that today. But I only want to talk about three things, really. And uh, I'm, I'm at a loss because I think, man, this psalm probably could be like a Sermon on the Mount series, 15 or 16 weeks, because there's so much there. But this is what I want to say today, where we're going to look at three things, and it's this, a praise that goes up, okay, a pit that goes down, and a path that goes out. That's what we're going to look at in this particular psalm today. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you for this time to be here today. Thank you, God, honestly, for the opportunity and privilege to be on this stage and the uh, feet of where many uh, great pastors have already shared through this month and over the years in the past, God. Uh, I come to you today, God, just knowing that I'm no better. I'm, I'm a sinful creature, and I pray from my lips that only the Holy Spirit gives me the words to say and speaks through me today as a vessel. Lord, just use me to touch someone here uh, in this place with the words that you want them to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, it's 24 verses we're going to look at today. I'm not going to have you stand, and we're not going to read through all those at once. So we're going to kind of bite, take some bite-sized nuggets and go through a little at a time. So if you will, turn to Psalm 139, and we're going to look at uh, the first five verses, which say, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and your hand is upon me. What I see in these first few verses and in a lot more of these verses is David's intimacy with God. Notice the passage begins with you. You just see a lot of yous in there. You have searched me. You have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You ever had one of those days where the alarm clock doesn't go off or the phone doesn't go off and you don't wake and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're just like jolted awake. And I actually have a few of those days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I was sleeping so hard. I didn't hear anything and I just got awoke. And I was like, and sometimes I think this, like God knows like when we're going to rise up, like the Holy Spirit jolted me to being awake. It's kind of one of those things. You are acquainted with all my ways. This word acquainted is so uh, intimate. It speaks of familiarity with mannerisms. You know my path. You know the words on my tongue before I even say it. Jim Pritchard is one of our most seasoned pastors here at High Point, and whether he knows it or not, he's dropped a lot of nuggets in a lot of our lives over the years, and one of those nuggets is sometimes when he'll pray, he's just so honest, he'll say, Father, don't let me say anything stupid today, or whatever, and that's kind of how I feel sometimes. It's like, literally, you know, we know the things. We, we probably wish we could take back a lot of the words that we said over the years, right? And in fact, this really speaks to the intimacy that David has with God. Like he knows everything about him. He searches him out. He discerns every single thing. And he just reiterates this praise back 
and back and back, up, up and away every single time. Nothing happens outside of God's will. There's nothing to chance, no path or direction without him. Look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it altogether. How many times do we speak of the intimacy that we have for God? I don't know that we do. In fact, I'm kind of blown away a little bit here. I'm thinking, man, of the things that I've said, the thoughts that I have, the ways that I go, the paths that I've taken, God knows every one of them. Yet, just like Tyler spoke a few weeks ago in Psalm 103, he still loves us. No matter what, he still loves us. He has this everlasting love for us. The intimacy kind of is come to a, a climax in verse 6 when it says, when David says, such knowledge is, is too wonderful me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Man, I don't even know that I can comprehend the level of intimacy that David is really speaking, putting in the words and saying out loud that he has for God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Let's move on. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your spirit? presence. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. One of the things that we as Christians know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, this passage of Psalm 139 holds three truths that we really embrace a lot. Uh, one is the omniscience of God. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about us. We've already saw that in the first six verses. He's so intimate with us, he knows everything about us. The second word is this omnipresence or omnipresent God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Trinity, through the union with Christ. He's always with us. He never leaves us. He's always there. He never forsakes us. And then the last one is this omnipotence. He controls everything about us. He knows every single path. He controls the where we're going in life. There's, there's nothing by chance. And he literally says that here, you hand, your hand will lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. My, I'm a right-hander. That's my dominant right hand. And I think that's probably the reason I like this verse. I kind of think God's the right-hander. You like? He's got a dominant right hand. My wife is a left-hander. That's her dominant hand. And she particularly likes Isaiah 41, 13, which says a little bit of the same thing. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. To her, it almost says like God's going to hold her and the righteous right hand that he has, and sometimes he's going to lift her with the left hand. That's the dominant hand. God's going to take care of everything. He's always there, always ever-present, always controlling life. No matter where we go to the deepest of oceans or the driest of deserts, we cannot flee his presence. There's no games of hide-and-seek with God. He's always there. There's not a moment of day or night that is left unobserved by him. And David just keeps saying this over and over like this praise. He's just lifting up, you know, everything about me. This just speaks of the intimacy of their relationship. There's a song I like, and uh, some of the lyrics in this song, like there's a few lines in the song, it says this, and kind of repeats it over and over. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. 
I think this says greatly what this psalm says, what David is saying. The praise that goes up, just like I read in these first few lines of this uh, lyric of this song, is the exact same thing David is saying. He's just lifting up this praise to God. Let's continue on, verses 13 through 16. You're probably thinking, wow, he's 12 verses in. It's 24 verses. We've been here seven minutes. We've got seven more minutes to go. You're wrong. It's not like that, okay? I'm, not, I'm halfway through, but I'm not halfway through, okay? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, I just read those three verses there, and now all of you, the light's kind of coming on like, yes, that's where I know that psalm from. We say that a lot. We may speak these words to our kids like, you're wonderfully made, you're fearfully made, he made no mistake with you, you're awesome, you're great, all those things. And and we think about that, and that's exactly what David is saying right here. I kind of thought through like, man, I could probably preach several sermons just on this one piece of text here. What do I really want to say? And I was thinking, you know, I think what I'm really wanting to say here, it is God who made David perfectly. It's God who made each of us perfectly. Chuck Swindoll says it uh, really nicely in a quote, it is neither nature nor mother nature who performs the miracle in the womb. It is God alone and no other. You knitted me as a picture of a body within a body, right? Uh, The mother's wombs. He knitted him, informed him, put him together. Um, I I don't think he made any mistakes. That's what we tell our kids. We we very much reiterate this over and over many times to our kids' lives. I read uh, one commentary uh, that said it this way. Uh, uh, There are no birth effects. To God, that would be like saying he made something defective, And Ronnie Stevens used an illustration last week in his teaching, and he was talking about a friend of theirs, a couple friends of theirs, and he said they have an afflicted child. And I kind of like the words afflicted child a little bit. We have dear friends, and we've known them for 30 years, and they have a daughter that um, actually has a child, and, and actually she's having another child. She's pregnant now too, but she has a child. And I can't even say the name of the word, but the affliction the child has starts with an A, and it's like a really long word. There are a lot of syllables in there. But here's what happened. The child was born with some afflictions. Uh, I, I honestly, when you see, saw the child born, uh, no hands, no fingers, um, the head. I mean, this child had multiple surgeries on it since it's born. And like last week, a week or so ago, uh, we got to see the child. He's about two years old now. And I was standing out in the driveway, and uh, they have this long driveway. It's like, I promise you, it's like 100 feet, maybe 150 feet long. It's super long. And I was standing on the driveway with this child there, and he's on this little trike like any of the rest of our two-year-olds have been on, and he's just going up and down this driveway just like a regular, normal, perfect child, just like David is saying right here, just like we tell our children, there's no defects in you. You're perfect. You're great. You're fearfully. You're wonderfully made. And I thought about that. I'm thinking, man, that's exactly what God does. Like if you had asked me two years ago and I saw a child, I couldn't have seen this. But God sees past these things. Like he makes us in his image. We're perfect. We're just right with God. And a little of a twist here, verse 14, he literally says, I praise you. 
I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You know it very well. Man, we're in this society where it's like selfie mode all the time. It's all these images of us, and we send them out left and right. I mean, uh, if, if you've got teenagers, I mean, it's like Snapchat's the only thing they live on. Like, it's just left and right, sending these things out there. Pastor Will talks about this self-absorbed society that we're in. And, and I don't think this is what David is saying at all. In fact, what I think he's saying is this. Humbly, he knows this relationship that he has, that God has made him perfectly, he's literally affirming God and saying, man, God, thank you. You're, you've made me perfect. I'm, whatever it is that you've done in me, you've made me fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a testimony. It's not this self-absorption. It's in humility. He kind of sums up that humility in verses 17 and 18 when he kind of comes to the second pinnacle, the second climax in this text, when he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. I'm a Memphian and we do like you. We go to the beach every year and we were down at the beach a few weeks ago and I was sitting on the sand and I saw these particles of sand. I thought, man, that's a great illustration. And, and I think it's still probably a great illustration of whatever trillions of particles of sand there are. These are the thoughts that God has towards us. And then all of a sudden this week, I saw that James Webb NASA telescope imagery come out on Tuesday, and it showed all this imagery, these galaxies. And I thought, man, this is like all I see is God, and I see these hundreds and millions of images of galaxies, and I think, are these the thoughts that he has towards us? Do I see the perfection? Do I see the imagery, the color, everything about this? This is what God believes about us. Most of the time, I get caught up in my own thoughts, and I can't get out of my thoughts. They're not anything positive. They're not anything perfect. There's not anything speaking of God's or the intimacy that I have with God. And David is just summarizing it right there in those last two verses with this intimacy that goes up, this praise that goes up. I mean, 18 verses, he just talks about all this praise to God, this adoration to God. Kyle was thinking through like, man, how do you close that section of 18 verses? And this is what I'd say. Man, this was the conviction that I had for me. Every day I get up. And it's a struggle to praise God. I think a lot of days I get up and, man, I'm just praising God for anything. I'm driving down the road. Uh, Yesterday I was going down the road. We saw a car wreck right there. I was like, and the guy walked away. I was like, praise God. Guy walked away. You know, praise God. We praise God. But most of the time I need reminders to praise God. My wife and I, we were traveling a few years ago and... We were in a little shop somewhere, and I saw this little plaque, and it had like 14 or 15 lines or something about praise things. It's not a religious plaque. It doesn't have any Christian messaging on it, but I'll tell you what it does. It reminds me every day because I posted it right by my coffee pot. When I get up and I go fix my coffee, that's the first thing I look at, and it reminds me that every day there's something to be praiseworthy about. I can find so much to be praiseworthy about, so I literally leave there with that coffee, and I just start thanking God, man, that I woke, 
that I woke on time, that I got a job to go to, that my daughter's okay, my wife's okay, that all these things you just start praising God about. And then when I look at this, I'm thinking, man, that's exactly what David's done. For the first 18 verses, he's offered this praise to God. You know what our lives typically look like? If we carve out enough time to talk to God, it's the prayers in our life, and really we cut past the praise and we get straight to the prayers. I need this, I need this, I need a job, I need this, I want this, please do this, please do that, please do that. And it's 80% of our prayers are talking to God are about prayers, things we want, things we need, things we need Him to intervene in. I feel like this, literally 80% of this passage is praise. Praise that goes up, not prayers. I think that's the conviction for me as I think through it. What's the application in my life? I mean, man, Lord, I need to be praising you just like David did. A praise that goes up. Now, second thing I see is a pit that goes down. A pit that goes down. Look at verse 19. 19 through 22 says this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Exclamation point. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Oh my gosh, what's happened here? Man, when you first look at this, you're like, where's the placement of this text? How did this happen? It's kind of confusing, like 18 verses of praise, and then David goes on this little tirade, this little rant, this little anger, this burst of whatever, um, and it just comes out of nowhere. Will asked me this last week. He's like, man, are you going to talk on verses 19 through 22? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, that's like my life in a way. Sometimes I'm talking to God, I'm praising God, I've got this great little relationship, and then out of nowhere, I find that there's this pit in the bottom of my heart, and I just say something stupid or crazy, or, you know, the wickedness comes out, or the hatred comes out, and here's what I think. Here's what I really think about this passage. I think this passage more fully depicts this image of how close David feels to God. There's this proximity of this relationship, this intimacy to where he's so closely aligned with God, now he feels the same maybe anger that God has for wickedness, the wrongness that's going on. He aligns himself with God in this way. It's kind of a crazy passage. C.S. Lewis calls it this, uh, this little tirade, a hatred that's undisguised. A hatred that's undisguised. I, I really believe that this rant reveals the intimacy that you could safely expose yourself to God. When I think of my life, when I think of the talks, the conversations I have with God, I think he wants us to safely expose ourselves to him. He wants us to talk to him just like we would any play, anyone else, like there's some things in us that we should say. This isn't unusual to the Psalms, by the way. I was kind of looking through these Psalms. I looked at this word enemies, and this enemies shows up in crazy passages. Psalm 23, believe it or not, go back. It's a great little Psalm. You read it, and then all of a sudden, you've got these enemies in there, and you're like, set the table before me. Let them look at me. Like you want your enemies to 
see how good you're doing, you know. So these, these things come up throughout the Psalms. C.S. Lewis quotes David, but also these other poets who wrote some of this uh, resentment and this anger in these texts. And he says this uh, on this. Resentment expressing itself with perfect freedom, without disguise, without self-consciousness, without shame. Their hatreds are the reaction to something. Such hatreds are the kind of things that cruelty and injustice by a sort of natural law produce. These poets lived in a world of savage punishments, of massacre and violence, of blood sacrifice in all countries, and human sacrifice in others. Man, King David was a man of war. This kind of naturally emanated from his soul. It just came up out from with him. He's like, man, let's kill these people. Let's cruel, you know, get rid of these people. Slay the wicked. And here's what I want to say for us as Christians. Similarly, similarly, we can be uh, just as uh, passionate about cruelty and injustice in our world. It exists. It exists out there. We should have indignation for wrong. We really should. We should act on wrong things, and we should uh, react to things in a way without sacrificing our witness. I think this is the biggest thing. We can find this pit that in, that is in all of us. There's some darkness in all of us, the things that are wrong in society, the injustice that exists, the things that are out there, and we can act on those and react to those without becoming just like the world, without becoming wicked. Here's what happens usually. We get stuck in that pit, and we become judgmental. We become not loving. We become angry. We become hostile. And here's what happens. The things that we, we're, we're, the, the wrongness, the, the cruelty, the injustice in the world, we become self-righteous, self-promoting. We have this persecuting zeal, this spiritual pride, this heartless justification for the things that we do, distorted views, this wickedness that comes out. And I think this passage just paints clearly the pit of darkness that we can fall into sometimes. Man, sometimes the most righteous Christians, the ones that just are just living this great life, then can be become known for these things that are just so aligned with the enemy the things of the world. And I think that's what we see here. Secondly, I think we see another pit of darkness, right? I skipped verses 11 and 12. You might not have noticed, but I did. And I want to go back to them. I like these. I like these two verses. Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I did a little research this last couple of weeks, and I was looking at this word darkness, and I was really thinking about this patch, and I'm like, man, what is David really trying to say here with this darkness? Like, what does it mean? So I did the research on darkness. I looked up the Hebrew word for darkness, and you know what it means? Darkness. Absence of light. It's just dark, right? So I was like, surely David meant something more. So then I started thinking through it a little bit, and I was like, maybe he's getting at something else, some of the darkness. It surely can't be just the absence of life or light. Uh, my wife and I, we've canceled our Netflix stuff. We don't really have those paid things. We have no cable. So we're like a 
couple old people sitting around watching free YouTube, okay? So we're watching free YouTube, yeah, and we're learning how to plant corn and uh, tomatoes and diseases, and, you know, I'm looking at documentaries on what do they do with all that Amazon stuff that you buy and you send back, like how do they get rid of that stuff? So we're learning all kinds of stuff on there. So one night I was on YouTube, and I was looking at this documentary. I have no idea how it showed up in there. There's things you might be interested in, but I got on that thing, and there's a documentary on Sweden and Norway. So Norway and Sweden, and then there's a little country, Finland up there, and then up underneath it's Denmark, okay? Northernmost countries over in Europe. And these, uh, these, this, this person doing the documentary was talking about Norway and Sweden, and she said, you know, in Norway, um, we have, depending on the time of year, in the summertime, we can have 20, 22, 23, 24 hours of daylight during the day. And in the wintertime, there's times where we have 20, 22, 23, 24 hours of darkness during the day. And I really don't know that. You know, we're in the south here. We got four seasons. We got, what do we go to bed at? Uh, or it gets dusk or daylight or 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock gets dusk, 6 in the morning gets daylight or something. So we're kind of used to like normalcy like that. The only time I've really heard of that is in Alaska. You can go there and you got days and nights that are longer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, one time I was in London and it got kind of dark around 10.30 and kind of daylight around 3.30. So that's the first I really thought about that. But, but I was thinking about this darkness, and I was like, surely that's not what he's talking about. Like, maybe he's talking about seeing through the darkness like that and daylight. And, not. and then I started thinking about when was David writing this psalm? And I don't really think we know. Just because it's Psalm 139 doesn't mean it's like towards the end. 150 is the last psalm, and I don't think that this is towards the end of David's life or anything. It might have been. We don't, I don't really know. I don't think he was a tot. I think he was kind of lived through some adult life. And here's what I was thinking about David. If you know anything about David, he's got some darkness in his past. He's got a lot of darkness. In fact, I just kind of summarized a few things. I was like, man, the dude had a lot of sin, a lot of shame, a lot of adultery. He lost a child. He was a wanderer. He was being hunted. He was in hiding all the time. These are just to name a few few of the things about his life that was dark. And then I started thinking about my life and my friend's life and our staff and the people I'm close to. Parker mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, if you're here and you got a prayer request, you can fill it out on a card. And we actually have a place online. You fill out your prayer requests and send those in. And, and I actually read these. And we have a prayer team who reads through these and prays over these prayer requests during the week that you submit. And our, our staff does as well. And and when I open that email, usually every week, uh, the first thing I look at, see how many pages it is. I, I mean, it'd be kind of cool to see a page. Rarely is it a page. It's usually pages. And, and you got a lot of darkness, just like I do. There's some suffering. There's some things you're going through. And uh, my wife's down here, and, and we've been kind of in a little bit of darkness since about November. She's, uh, she's kind of had some ailments that's been bothering her. We've been all kinds of doctors and everything. In fact, I was kind of thinking about this week when I was looking at this meaning of this weave me together in my mother's womb and this knitting together. You know, in the, in the Hebrew, this means like a mass. It means like a thicket of muscles and bones and tendons and blood vessels and veins and arteries and all that just kind of coming together like did, God did that. And she's got that right here, like a mass of muscles and thicket of veins and things that's causing her issues. 
And we don't know what it is. Most days she's nauseous and no appetite really and discomfort and uncomfortable and some pain and all that. We're trying to figure out what it is. And I was thinking about the darkness that we're in. I was thinking about the darkness you're in. And yeah, here's what happens. We're all got some darkness there. Your prayer requests are dark. You, you've got children who are sick, who are far from God. There's ailments going on. And and you're living in some darkness, some suffering. I was reading through those this week, and I was like, man, the, the, the uh, authenticity and transparency that comes through those things is awesome. People literally spell out everything. And I'm like, that's where we're at. There's some darkness. And it's not just for me. I was thinking just of our staff, the husbands, the wives, the kids that are going through darkness. And sometimes they can't see out of that darkness. I just kept thinking about this darkness. You know, when I was reading through the Psalms, and this is honestly, candidly, when I was reading through the Psalms, I'm a pastor here. What I needed was this. Can I trust God through this? Can I really trust God through what we're going through? It really made me think. That's what I was looking for. Like, I need comfort. I need a belief that, God, you're bigger than our problems right now. And maybe that's kind of where I'm going. I was talking to Drew McCullough. He's like, you should really talk about suffering. I'm like, there's a ton of psalms on suffering. To me, I can't talk about suffering because that's too down and out, man. That's 40 minutes of depression. I don't need that. I need to talk about something good. So here's the thing I was thinking about. I was like, can I trust God? And here's what I want to say. Not only is there a praise that goes up and there's a pit that goes down into some darkness, so there's a path that goes out. I, I'm that kind of preacher. I like. I need. To, I need the way out. I need to see the way out. A path that goes out. Uh, I read a Jewish writer who said this uh, in his commentary. Actually, he had a commentary on the Psalms, and he said this: the Psalms are Jewish Christian standing, the full Christian blessings, Christian responsibility, and Christian hope are not revealed in these songs. S-O-N-G-S, which are the Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. Here's how I disagree. I think he's wrong. I think we see hope. And here's what I want to get at. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. As anxious, as distracting, as dark, as suffering, as pitiful as they are, search me, try me, and know my thoughts. Verse 24, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, I was thinking about it, like, seriously, you could do an entire sermon just on these two verses. You really could. There's so much there. Here's what I see in these verses. Man, just as quickly as David was praising God in 18 verses, then went on this little rant for 19, 20, 21, 22, he recovers and he says this, man, search me. There's this release. There's this release of control or power. There's this cry, this confession, this submission, a relenting, a repenting after the tirade. Literally, he's confessing, man, just like I started this psalm in verse 1, he ends it. Oh, Lord, search me and know me. Search me and know me. What does that mean? The path that goes out starts inside of us. It starts inside of us. There's a path that goes out that starts inside of us. The root of intimacy in all this 
foundation of praise that David has is found inside of him praising God. Will did ask me this last week. He said, are you going to talk more about David's intimacy for God or God's intimacy for David? I was like, man, I think it's David's intimacy for God. Tyler taught a good lesson on 103 about God's intimacy for David. But for me, it just, what I see here is the intimacy of his relationship is really what I want in my life. My relationship with God to be so intimate. Chuck Swindoll says in his commentary, find out, this is what the verse means to him, find out which thoughts carry me away from the fellowship with you, O God. Show them to me so I can understand them and their effect on my walk with you. Show me verses 19, 20, 21, 22, the darkness in my heart, and call me out because those things are pulling me away from my relationship with you. Show me the darkness of suffering in my life because you can see through it. Look, verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. The path that goes out begins inside of us. What I didn't finish on my story about the documentary, you could pull it up actually. I think the thing's called Norway, Sweden, Darkness and Light or something like that. It's got like 14 million views. There's a lot of views on it. But here's what the girl was saying through the documentary. And literally, this is the most fascinating part. When I kept watching and kept watching, here's what she said. Yes, we get 22, 23, 24 hours a day of darkness. And she kept testifying how much she appreciates the darkness. She's been able to see the light in the darkness, the things in the darkness that she couldn't see without it being dark for 24 hours. And I was just, honestly, I was mesmerized looking at watching the video. And I kept thinking to myself, all these images that come up through the darkness. That's probably what made that telescope imagery that I saw this last week kind of think, wow, wait a minute, through all that darkness, God sees all this light. And that's what this text says. God sees it as light. He sees it all as light. We have to see outside of this. We have to get our perspective changed. Secondly, I think the path that goes out begins with God. Look, verse 24, the last seven words of that entire psalm. Lead me in the way everlasting. The way everlasting is with God. To repeat one more time, for darkness is as light with you. I did. I looked at the Hebrew word for this darkness, and it is darkness. It's the absence of life. What I didn't tell you was this. The full definition of that Hebrew word darkness goes just like this. God sees through the darkness as light, even though we cannot. He sees through it even when we cannot. Man, that's the most important takeaway. God sees through the darkness when we cannot. I don't maybe that is the suffering message. You know, we want to see through the darkness and we can't. I have a friend of mine a few weeks ago, I did. We took that vacation. It probably wasn't a great vacation because the ride down was terrible and the ride back was hard on her. So my wife was kind of sickly there for about a week and a half. And I had a pretty rough weekend. I really kind of, me, I was in kind of a little state of depression after the weekend. I was like, Lord, I can't see outside this darkness. I don't know if she can or not, but I can't. And I had a pretty rough weekend. And on a Monday morning, I just, uh, I have a friend of mine whose wife has cancer. 
and uh, she's been diagnosed for a few months now, and I called him up, and, and you know, I don't know about you, but man, when you're in darkness and suffering, uh, you do, you start praying for other people. Like, those requests are on your list, like, oh, please pray, all these things, but if you're not suffering it, you're less likely to pray for people. So when you're suffering, man, I'm going to that list, and I'm praying through folks, so I was thinking about him, and I called him up, and uh, man, 35, 40-minute conversation was awesome because here's what happened. He kept telling me about seeing through the darkness. Literally, literally, he told me this. Quote, nearly paraphrasing quote, he said, man, we were talking days that turned into weeks, that turned into months, and now we're talking years she may have. Like, God showed up. He kept saying things, only God. Medical bills, only God. Absence of how to pay for things, only God. Getting into uh, cancer treatment programs that they weren't going to get into, that they had been denied by their insurance to get into, only to have someone say, yes, you can come to us. And things being happening over and over and over. And here's what I took out of that conversation with him. Man, the darkness was as light with God, only God. God could see through these things. He couldn't see through it. You may not be able to see through it, but God can see through these things. I want to close, really, with one of my favorite New Testament verses, and this comes in Mark 15, 33, and um, this is at the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? And 15, 33 says this, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the reason I like this verse, I just always have this vision. I always think through like, man, they just put Jesus on the cross, crucified him. And what are these people thinking when it goes dark? And I'm thinking dark like dark, absence of light, just like I defined a minute ago. And it goes dark. And I'm thinking, what are these people thinking for the first hour or the second hour. Um, we live in the city, so I, we, we lose our power sometimes. I think Carville, maybe the stuff goes underground, you don't lose as much, but every so often we lose our power. And this is what happens. When we lose our power and the lights go off, you know what we do? We sit there for 30 minutes. We're thinking, when's it going to come back on? An hour later, we're like, it's going to come back on. An hour and a half, Man, it's still dark. When's it going to come back on? Two hours, three hours. I mean, we, we literally mark these things. Like we, we lost our power back during, uh, back in the spring. With, I forgot what storm it was, like 26 hours, you know. So we had it marked, 26 hours without power. I always think, what did these people think when it was dark? Did they ever think that there's any light coming back? At the second hour and 30 minutes, did they think light was coming back? And here's what I really like about this. Um, Oh, by the way, I did a little search on the Greek, by the way, darkness. And because and, Hebrew in the in the Old Testament, the Greek darkness. You know what this word darkness means in the Greek? Darkness. <laughs> Absence of light. Think about that. It's dark. And when does God show up? Can he see through? And here's where God showed up, I think. Mark 15, 34. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We didn't get to that, but in Hebrews and Deuteronomy, he doesn't forsake us. He says, why does he forsake me? And then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And then the centurion stood facing him, saw that he had breathed his last and said this, truly, this man was a son of God. Eight words. 
Seven words that lead the path to everlasting life. Eight words here. I'm going to ask the band to come out as we kind of close the message this morning. Man, we've been through a lot. We've talked about the praise that goes up, the path that goes down. There's a little pit of darkness in there, and, or the pit that goes down. Then we got this path that goes out. And really, it begins inside of us, the path that goes out, and then also begins with God. And you may be here today, and you're thinking, man, I've heard this message before. I've seen that path. I know what that path looks like. And you're like, I don't know where it's at. My wife, last story on this, we, we took a trip a few years ago to Maine and never had been there before. And we were on this little trail and we were hiked, took this little hike about two miles down this trail. And I really liked it. We went and saw this little waterfall or whatever. We came back and I remembered when we had taken this trail uh, down there, there was like a little fork. You know, when we left the parking lot, we went down, there's a little fork that kind of went off. And as I went off this little trail there, or as we kept going down our trail, when I got, we got back close to that point, I was like, I want to take that path up that we forked off to the parking lot. So I told my wife, I was like, you go that way, I'm going to go this way. And she's like, well, you sure? I'm like, yeah, sure. She said, we well, get the backpack or the water? So I was like, nah, you take that. I'm going to take this little path at the parking lot. i tell you what, I'll go get the car when I get there, and I'll pull around and get you where we took that trail in. She said, all right. So I went down that path, and I kept going, and I kept going. I was like, man, where's that little fork off that I just, I remembered it was here somewhere, and I didn't see it. I didn't see anybody else for that matter, by the way. So I doubled back to where I'd left her. I was like, did I miss that thing somewhere, and I didn't see it? So I went back that way again, kept going down that path, looking for that little fork, and I didn't see the fork. Finally, I saw a couple, and I said, hey, do y'all remember that little fork is, a little path that goes up that parking lot? And they said, yeah, you're not very close to that. You need to go all the way back down this path here. I was like, all right. So I went out and they said, look for that little, that big oak tree or big tree or something that's got a little arrow on it and wood and it leads up to that. So I went all the way back down and sure enough, I had passed it several times. It was right in front of me. I just didn't see it. I saw it there, but I just didn't see it. I took that little path. I promise you, I was only gone like two minutes on that next little path. And I look up, Lisa's up there with the car. Adler was thinking, gosh, I wish I could go back down. But anyway, <laughs> I was there. And this is what I want to say this morning. You're not new to church. You've been here for a lot. You've been coming to Carville. Maybe this is your 50th time here. And you know this. You know everything I told you. You know the darkness exists and you're going to get out. You need a new perspective. You need to look from within and see outward. And, and maybe you have this relationship with Jesus Christ or maybe you don't. Maybe you just need a reminder like, man, this is what I need to do. I need to be like David. 18 verses of praise before the prayers, right? Bow your heads with me and I'm going to close this morning. Father, thank you for every person who is here. There's two things I want to pray for, God. I pray for the individual here today, God, who is in a pit of darkness, who does have some suffering, who does, who cannot see outside of the suffering, God. I pray for them, God. I, I, I think the coolest thing about these 18 verses are is we see that the praise builds this intimacy. And when we're praising you and we're praising you and we're praising you, we're building that intimacy with you. And there's a lot to be learned from that. And then the second thing is, I pray for the person who doesn't know you. And if they don't know you and they want to know what the gospel message is, it's this, that the darkness isn't permanent. They can have a relationship with you 
and have the light. They can, you see through the light. So I pray for that person. I pray that you'll bring them to the stage, to the prayer, pray with someone this morning on the response team. I pray, Father, for your will to be done and you save them from the path or the pit that goes to nowhere, God. Bless this time of worship and response this morning. In Christ's name, amen.